Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. This is Dr. Heidi. It is good to be back. I know the last few episodes we've had guests, great guests. I have a lot of other guests lined up and I love the fact that the guests are also great resources for you guys to use during your journey of education and healing. If you have not been on my website for a while, I challenge you to jump over there. It's brand new. I love it. I'm so thankful for the work that my team put in because it runs faster and it's cuter and it just is much, much better than the last website. Um, on the website, uh, you can take the TPA, the Toxicity Profile Analysis. So if you have not taken that, that is a tool that I have for you to validate the severity of the effect that toxic traits from others may have on you and your life. It's kind of a long test, but it's yes or no questions. And, you know, sometimes when we're in these type of environments, a lot of the toxic behavior becomes normal. So we end up not feeling like it's toxic anymore because it happens every day. So if you are one that is going, I can't tell if this relationship is toxic or maybe it's not that bad. Sometimes just taking that test will give you a little bit of validation on, oh, yeah, I've been living in this so long I didn't even realize that this behavior was unhealthy. On the website also, you have the ability to book a session with me. Some people like a little bit more explanation of their TPA results. Some people have decided to leave but don't know what steps to take. They're ones that are booking sessions. The, the other thing is, okay, how do we heal from this? I'm out of it, I'm done, and here I'm sitting, and I don't know what steps to take to move on from this. So there's a place to schedule a one-on-one -on -one session with me on the podcast or on the website. If you are a podcast listener, feel free to use the code 25OFF for $25 off of that initial session. But let me know what you think of the new website. Today, I want to talk about something that I've been watching in the Strength Within group. Strength Within group is a private support group that I have on Facebook. So if you're looking for a community of people that are going through the same thing you are, search Strength Within under groups. The cover photo is a white flower growing out of a gray rock because I know there's more than one Strength Within group on Facebook. But as I watch the posts within this group, and the group is getting bigger, so it's harder for me to read every post. But for some reason, when we are in these type of situations, we hang on to the words that come out of the mouth of the toxic person. And it's very, I remember it very well being in that situation. And we want to believe what they're saying, right? And to me, when I read a lot of the posts, it is plain as day what is going on in this situation. But to those of you who are in the situation, it's still very cloudy and it's still very confusing. Now, we always have to go back to what motivates the toxic personality. Okay, the toxic personality is motivated by security in themselves. So what they do and what they say in the relationship is put there by them to feed them with the feeling of security. And Again, logically, many of you can look at the situation and say, I don't think this relationship is that healthy for me. But as soon as our emotions get involved, it clouds our logic. So as soon as they say the right words or they do the right thing or they apologize for everything that you've been wanting them to apologize for, 
our emotions get involved and immediately we feel like it's not that bad. So the hanging on the words of the toxic person can be very detrimental because that's what sucks us back in. That's what gets us to think it's not that bad. And, and you all know it's not bad 100% of the time. If these relationships were bad 100% of the time, we'd already all be gone. But it's confusing because it's not so bad on Tuesday, it's bad on Wednesday, and then it's not so bad again on Thursday. So if we just make it through Wednesday, we know that Thursday might not be so bad. And we hang on the words and we hang on their promises and we hang on the things they said at the beginning of the relationship because we want so bad to hear those things. And one of the things that I am seeing trending right now in the Strength Within group is these big, long conversations with the toxic person, okay? And you all know, you know, we've had to take communication classes in school and we have to communicate with strangers on a daily basis. You have to communicate with a boss, a coworker, your mother, a teacher, the doctor, a friend, a spouse. You communicate with your children. We communicate all day long. But we also know that there's certain conversations that go very smoothly. And then there's certain conversations that feel weighted. They feel harder. They feel difficult. And for those of you who've had to have conversations with a toxic person in your life, you know what this feels like. Have you noticed the difference between having a conversation with them and having a conversation with somebody that is not threatening to you or does not make you feel like there's something wrong with you? What is it that makes certain conversations easy and certain conversations hard? Well, it's actually the same thing that makes certain relationships easy and certain relationships hard. When, when we step into a conversation to communicate with people, especially ones that we have never had a negative experience with, we relate to these people. We step into conversations to communicate about something. We're considerate, we're polite, we're respectful, because why wouldn't we be, right? That's, that's how we approach a conversation. We trust that the other person engaging in the conversation is going to be the same. They're going to be considerate. They're going to be polite. They're going to be respectful. So why do we feel like there's certain conversations that don't go this way? Because when we step into a conversation, we don't lie. We don't deceive. We, tr we don't manipulate. We don't try to scare people through our conversations. So why would other people do that, right? If it's somebody that you are in a respectful conversation with, we expect the conversation to go easy. We would not anticipate that someone who loves us or who we're friends with, we wouldn't anticipate them to lie during a conversation or be deceitful during a conversation or be manipulative during a conversation or try to scare us during a conversation or to use the conversation to make themselves feel more secure, right? We just don't think like that. We only see the world through our eyes and we expect everybody to act like us. But when we realize during these conversations that the good qualities that we put into them aren't being returned through the conversation, it gets very confusing. For those of us who are seeking an honest, intimate, strong, trusting 
conversation in a relationship, it's very disheartening and confusing when the conversation doesn't end up that way. And if, if I was going to describe a conversation between two people who are respectful of each other, we listen in a conversation. We try to understand the other person's point of view. We allow them to have an opinion. We try to see things from their perspective. We don't judge them just because they have an opinion. We try to be honest and we try to be truthful in these type of conversations. The problem is the toxic person does not play by these same rules. This makes effective communication and conversation very, very difficult. It makes it very exhausting. And when I say exhausting, you guys all know what type of conversation I'm talking about. The conversation starts and three hours later, you're still talking in circles about the same thing and you have not resolved anything. The toxic person does not enter into a conversation. They enter into a verbal competition, which they plan on winning. Right now, why would a toxic personality enter into a verbal competition? Competition is one of the 21 character traits that I teach. The competition and them planning on winning makes them feel powerful over you, which makes them feel secure. So they just use it as a tool so they can feel more secure. They don't seek to understand in a conversation. They don't listen to reason. They don't want clarification. They don't care about your feelings. They're not going to compromise. They listen to react and they listen to respond. Because the goal in a conversation with a toxic person is they want to win. And they're going to win because it's a competition. And winning a competition makes them feel powerful. Your attention is on them during a conversation and they feel more secure. When you, when you end up in a conversation with somebody like this, it always ends very chaotic. There's belittling, it's drama packed, it's full of accusations. The bones that they can dig up during these conversations can go back years. And the goal is to wear you down and exhaust you. And you all again know how those three hour conversations go. You are exhausted by the end of them and you wish you would have never started the conversation. Toxic people get away with treating conversations this way because they have trained those within their life that they have conversations with to allow them to win. And in my experience, I found that you either have to be the admirer in this situation and you have to let them win and you have to agree with them and you have to support them in their view in this conversation or you have to be a tongue biter, meaning you don't voice your opinion. You don't say anything. You keep your mouth shut. And when I think about my former relationship, I did both. And I think in the very beginning, I tried to have normal conversation. But when you go so long without your voice being heard, you start agreeing with them. And you just let them have their way regardless. Well, when a conversation goes that way, they're not really getting the interaction that they want that makes them feel more powerful. So the conversations will get a little more heated. And it was then that I started being the tongue biter. 
I would look at the ground. I wouldn't say anything. I'd just wait. And many times that escalated the situation because the toxic person wants to see that emotional reaction. When they can say or do something that causes an emotional reaction, they feel in control of your emotions. They can say something that makes you feel bad or makes you feel guilty or makes you feel upset. That makes them feel more secure. And so I can go through and think about, yes, here, during this stage, I tried to have a voice. During this stage, I just tried to agree with them. During this stage, I just tried to stay out of the conversation. I didn't set any boundaries. I didn't have an opinion. I didn't stand up for myself. And at the end, they all ended exactly the same. And the truth is when, when a toxic person enters into a conversation, they carry with them a whole suitcase full of tactics that they have ready in order to win this conversation. So think about these long conversations that you have with these people. And the funny thing about it is you never know which order these tactics are going to come in. Now, if they would come in an order that you could prepare for, these conversations might be a little bit easier to navigate, but because we don't know what order these tactics are going to come in within the conversation, we are on guard the entire time. One of the tactics that they use is projection. You're having a normal conversation and they start feeling uncomfortable. They start feeling accused of something. They start feeling insecure within the conversation. They, they want to appear perfect. So they, they hide their unattractive traits and behaviors by accusing you of being and acting exactly the same way. Their accusation become their confessions. Okay, so when they're accusing you of something, it's usually something they're doing. But why would they do this? Because it takes the attention off of them and makes them not responsible for whatever the conversation is about. What they don't like about themselves they say you are doing. Okay, so what happens to us in that type of scenario? We find ourselves defending ourselves and explaining ourselves and trying to convince them that we are not doing what they are accusing us of doing. And then they proceed to not believe you. They make you out to be the exact person that they are being. Examples of this happened to me all the time. I would be accused of being unfaithful when he was being unfaithful. And when I would bring it up in a conversation, he would deny, 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 and then all of a sudden, he would accuse me of doing the same thing. Well, the minute we're accused by a toxic person and we have to explain and defend ourselves, we are put on a level just lower than them, which makes them feel powerful. So now it is no longer about the fact that you think they're unfaithful. Now it is about you proving the fact that you're not. If you've confronted them about lying, they're going to accuse you of lying. So now you're explaining and defending yourself as to why you are not lying. So the conversation switches from their behavior to now you defending your behavior which didn't even exist in the first place. Now, don't you wish you didn't start that conversation? Another one of the tactics that they use in this three-hour conversation is they turn up the volume. How many of you have had teenagers? Okay, what happens 
when a teenager gets upset. They get heavier and they get louder. A teenager who's not upset, you can't hear go up the stairs. But a teenager that is upset, it sounds like a herd of elephants going up the stairs, right? Why would they use this as a tactic? They are saying, this is war, I am mad, and I'm going to get louder. So the toxic person during these conversations is going to get louder. They're going to talk faster. And the reason this tactic works is we immediately are shocked. Because by them turning up the volume, we back down just a little bit. It's going to be confusing when all of a sudden it goes from talking to yelling. It debilitates us. It, it makes us lose track of our concentration. It intimidates us. We will weaken under the attack the minute they turn the volume up. And it leaves us open to fire. Now, it's a less intellectual tactic, but it still works. And here's where we get sucked in. Because turning up the volume can be contagious. What happens the minute they start yelling? We start yelling back, right? And then it's this big screaming yelling match that makes us look exactly like them. Because we really don't want to fight. But the minute we are taken off guard by them turning up the volume, most of us fall into the trap of turning up the volume also. Now, don't you wish you didn't start that conversation? Another, another one of the tactics that they'll use in these type of conversations when they feel like you're winning or they're not winning the conversation is they're going to turn it into a pity party. If they cannot be the hero or they cannot prove that they're not in the wrong, they're going to play the victim and they're going to villainize you. They don't have to take responsibility for their actions, for their behaviors, or for their excuses if suddenly you're the bad guy. You'll suddenly be the one who's selfish and you're needy and you're demanding and you don't love them. You don't know how to love. And if you would just show more affection and if you would just be nicer, if you would just make the environment come more comfortable. You know, their life is always so much worse than everybody else's. They work harder than everybody else. They don't get any respect. Everybody in their life is so ungrateful for the things that they do. You don't know what they give to the relationship and you take it for granted. No one ever thanks them. No one ever appreciates them. See how that flip works? Now all of a sudden we're feeling guilty because they've pulled the victim card and we immediately feel like we should try harder at respecting them and being grateful for what they do and loving them more and appreciating them more. And all of a sudden, they don't have to take responsibility for whatever their behavior is. See how that flip works? If I can't win this, I'm going to be the victim and I'm going to win it from a backhanded way. Now, don't you wish you didn't start that conversation? The blame game. You all know blame is one of the tactics they use. It is never their fault. It's your fault. It's the kid's fault. It's their boss's fault. It's the dog's fault. It's the weather's fault. It's the cop that stopped him for speeding's fault. Okay? When they can play the blame game, they can avoid taking responsibility. They begin pointing fingers at you or anybody else that they can blame. 
It's like the magic hat. All of a sudden, their behavior is because it's somebody else's fault. And they may talk about your flaws or your shortcomings or, you know, you're pushing their buttons or you're not doing this right. Or if you wouldn't have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, if, if you weren't the way you were, then I wouldn't be the way I am. If you would have just, then I would have done all this bad behavior and letdowns on your part that they convince you of and that they blame you for. Their bad behavior disappears because it's not their fault. And they word it in a way that we can go, oh, yeah, maybe it is my fault. They have just escaped accountability of their own actions and behavior, and they have just won the conversation. So you have been tricked into taking the blame or allowing somebody else to take the blame and allowing them to be guilt-free. You know, examples of this would be like, well, if you would just be more attentive, I wouldn't have had her in my life. Or if you would just, this was mine, if you would just be a better wife, if you would just do this or if you would just do that. So we've had a three-hour conversation and it ends with, if you would just do this or if you would just do that. And what did I do? I jumped on the treadmill because, hey, it made sense that it's my fault because I wasn't a good wife, so I'm going to try and be a better wife. And our attention is on them the entire time we are on the treadmill of approval. I'm going to prove to them that I'm good enough. I'm going to prove to them that I can be accepted. You know, the other thing I always heard is, you know, it's your insecurities that are causing a trust issue. So it's not me that's untrustworthy. It's, it's your insecurities that are causing you not to trust me. When, when I was completely valid in reasons why I didn't trust. But it was turned on me that it was my fault because I was insecure. When the breaking of the trust is what caused the insecurity anyway, but now the problem is I'm insecure. Another one of the tactics they'll use is they interrupt you. They love being the center of attention. And controlling the conversation makes them feel more secure and makes them feel more powerful so they can ultimately win. They do this by interrupting or talking over top of you. It is no longer a two-way conversation. They listen to react. They don't listen to listen. They don't care about what your point of view is or your feelings because, remember, this is a competition. So they are intentionally going to interrupt and confuse and frustrate you to redirect the conversation in the way they want it to. It makes us feel defeated. It makes us feel unheard. It makes us feel invalidated. It makes us feel invisible. By interrupting, they're able to exert their control. Avoid taking responsibility. They don't have to listen to the facts that you have because they can keep interrupting and talking over top of you. Avoid important issues. You have something valid you want to say and they keep interrupting you so you can't say it. It devalues our thought process and it devalues our opinions. It proves their power when they can continually interrupt us. And pretty soon, we just stop talking. Because what good does it do to talk if we're going to continually be interrupted? Now, don't you wish you didn't start that conversation? The topic switch is another tactic that they use. 
you know, as the conversations go, I don't have to tell you. Their accusations, their deviations, there's distractions, there's denials, there's all this stuff that go on in these three-hour conversations. And now, all of a sudden, you're defending yourself over an issue that happened four years ago that you barely remember that they can't let go. So the topic switch and pulling stuff out of the past is very confusing. And the topic at hand disappears. Because now, all of a sudden, we're talking about something that happened four years ago. And you all know how we can talk about stuff that we did four years ago, but you can never bring up stuff that they did four years ago. We're not allowed to bring up stuff from the past. But whenever they feel like they are not winning a conversation, they're going to remind you of everything in the past that you may have done wrong. And many times the topic switch doesn't have anything to do with the original conversation. Example, I feel like you're, I feel like you're not telling me the truth. We would say that. I feel like you're not telling me the truth. And they'll say, well, you think, you think I'm lying? Well, do you remember the time that you went to visit your family and you didn't tell me what time the plane was leaving and you gave me the wrong time by two minutes? Okay, something like that is very distracting because something like that isn't a lie. But when they throw that out there at you, one, you don't remember it. Two, it's only two minutes, so you weren't lying. But three, they're hanging on it like you were lying, like you did something wrong. So it is instant confusion and it is instant disarming in order for them to win the conversation. The topic switch is very, very popular in these type of conversations. Gaslighting is also something that comes up in these type of conversations. They're going to alter the truth. They're going to omit some of the truth. They're going to replace some of the truth. And they only do some of it so that part of the story is real and part of the story has holes in it. Because what gaslighting is, is, is it makes us question ourself. It makes us question our judgment, our memory, our sanity, our reality. And so they give just enough that they can prove that it's true and leave enough holes that you can't prove that it's not true. They are so convincing that we accept their version. I remember thinking, oh yeah, I guess that may be true. Even though the times don't add up and the days don't add up and not all, not all the specific facts add up, but what he says is enough to make me believe it. So it doesn't matter what you saw. It doesn't matter what you heard. It doesn't matter what evidence you have. They're going to prove you wrong by twisting the story to fit their story and make you question the facts that you have. Examples of this are, we already talked about this. Okay, you may or may not have talked about it. You never listen. You only hear what you want to hear. Your memory is terrible. We've had this problem before. You never remember things the way they happen. You make things up in your head. They'll use other people's opinions of you against you. You know, so-and-so says that you do this all the time. You know, your mom says that you've had a memory problem for a long time. Well, the minute they say something like that, we start questioning our memory. Well, maybe we did forget. Well, maybe, maybe we did talk about this before. Well, maybe I wasn't listening. And you start questioning your reality, which puts them in the driver's seat of the conversation. 
So we eventually accept what they're, sell- what they're telling us and we're left feeling crazy inside because we really thought we knew how it went, but they're telling us we didn't. Don't you wish you didn't start that conversation? And of course, the last most famous tactic that they use to win a conversation is the silent treatment. This is the last and final straw to win a verbal competition. It's a very common form of emotional abuse. It's used as a punishment to gain the upper hand in a situation. It allows them to avoid discussing the things they don't want to discuss. If they don't talk about it anymore, they don't have to take responsibility for it. So what they do is they control you and they control the conversation and they control the situation by silence. Okay, so we hate the silent treatment. They use it as a tactic to feel power and control and our attention's on them. What happens after three days of the silent treatment? We end up apologizing and taking the blame because the silent treatment is so horrible that we'll do whatever we have to do in order for the silent treatment to end. So we apologize. Now, they're never going to take your first apology. It's not going to be good enough. So we go through this series of apologies to try and break the silence. Because the goal of them giving you the silent treatment is, one, they don't have to take responsibility for their behavior. What happens with us is we feel unloved. We feel insignificant. We feel invalidated. We feel unworthy. And we just want the silent treatment to go away. They know if they hold out, we would rather take the blame and then suffer in silence. So we forfeit and we let them win to reestablish communication. Silent treatment is 100% a control tactic that allows them to win the conversation. Now, Aren't you glad you started that conversation? So now that you're more aware of what goes on in these conversations, I want you to be more aware that these conversations are used as a way to make them feel more secure. Okay? It's what they do. They need to feel the security and a conversation like this, one, gets them out of taking responsibility, and two, allows them to win. So think about those long, circular conversations you've had. How many of these tactics have shown up in those conversations? And how many times have you allowed them to win the conversation? When I watch the posts in Strength Within, we keep trying to have the same conversation over and over and over with these people. And what we're doing when we do that is we're feeding them with more of the things they need to feel secure. Save your breath. Think about how many times the conversation has worked in your favor. You know, we talk about no contact after you leave. The reason we do no contact is so you don't get looped into one of these conversations. We have to stop feeding them with what they want. And when just having a conversation can give them what they want, we have to stop doing that. I say this all the time. Toxic people don't go away until we make them go away. And the way we make them go away 
is we have to stop giving them what they are seeking in the relationship, which is control over you so they feel secure. So the next time you find yourself falling into one of these conversations, just know you can stop it because you don't have to explain and defend yourself. The toxic personality trains you to explain and defend yourself all the time because you are one step lower than whoever you are explaining and defending yourself to. Stop doing that. Even the people, my clients, myself, that were out of toxic relationships, we still find that we feel the need to explain and defend ourselves to everybody. We don't have to. We've just been programmed so that we feel validated. And in these type of conversations, it doesn't matter how much you explain and defend yourself, you are never going to feel validated. So save your breath. Look at the history. Has a conversation with them ever gone well? Have you ever actually won a conversation? You know, if you've stepped out of the relationship and they're feeling the loss of control, they might pretend they're listening to a conversation and then they're going to tell you everything you want to hear. But remember, it's not about the relationship. It is 100% about the control they have over you. So they're going to say whatever it is that they think they need to say to regain that feeling of control. So be very careful when you step into conversations with these people because the, the conversation, the three-hour conversation that I just described, I know every single one of you have been through that. Conversations with a toxic personality aren't conversations at all. They're a verbal competition, which they plan on winning. Hey, I'm Rachel. I found Dr. Heidi's podcast when I needed it most, as I was leaving an emotionally abusive marriage. Dr. Heidi validated my experience, made me feel less alone, and helped me start the healing that I could not have done alone. Dr. Heidi is now offering an exclusive members-only podcast, where you can submit your questions, listen to others going through similar struggles, and hear Dr. Heidi's never-before-shared personal story. To learn more, go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com. Join her members-only podcast. It's only $15 a month to get two bonus episodes every week, plus the chance to ask your questions to Dr. Heidi. Go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com.